0: Lord good? Lord's good. Even when you don't think he is, he's good. Even when he doesn't seem to make it known, he's still good. Second Samuel chapter six, and begin in verse number twelve, and read through through verse fifteen. We'll get to sixteen in a few minutes. It was told King David saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him because the ark of God, or because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And it was so that when they, that bore the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen, and fatlings and david danced before the lord with all his might and david was girded with the linen ephod so david and all the house of israel brought up the ark of the lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet they didn't have the holy ghost back then wouldn't poured out yet would not be poured out for couple thousand years, but they brought up the ark of God with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Amen. I wonder if you would pray with me one more time. Ah! There's some things we need to break through today. I think there's some things that we need to break through today. I don't want us just sitting down because this is not a performance. This is not a stage. This is a platform. And what we need is God. You need God to speak to you beyond just words, but speak into your heart and soul and do something on the inside. Let's pray right now, Jesus. We believe in the power of the rhema-spoken word of God. We ask you right now in the name of Jesus that as you have blessed our worship and our praise as your presence has been in this room now for virtually hours may you continue to bless, may you continue to anoint may the gifts of the spirit continue to operate as they already have this morning and may the power of our God be manifest in this place to reveal your glory to reveal your presence in Jesus' name. Praise God. Praise God. Some of you are hungry for God, and he is going to satisfy your appetite. God bless you. You may be seated. The day that Samuel poured the horn of oil over his head and pronounced him to be the next king of Israel, David could not have predicted the events that would follow that anointing. Likewise, during the many years that he would be a fugitive, sometimes escaping death by mere inches, David could not have imagined the day when he would dance with all of his might before the ark of God as it was brought into the city of Jerusalem. I want to talk to you for a little while today about the dance. I want to talk to you about the dance. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, no matter what you say, Bishop, you're not going to get me to dance in church. Well, let me tell you something. That's not what I'm going to talk to you about But if you don't ever dance before the Lord, you do not know what you are missing. (laughs) The dance to me is especially significant, and it's significant for two reasons. The first reason is because my first encounter with my lovely wife of almost days away from 50 years of marriage... It began on a dance floor. We still dance, but we just changed partners. We now dance with Jesus. Maybe I'll talk more about that later. Maybe not. We'll see. The second reason that uh, the dance is significant with me is because when I received the Holy Ghost, I was dancing in the center aisle of the church on a Sunday night. I was resistant to the Holy Ghost. I made up my mind I wasn't going to let God do nothing through me that I didn't want him to do. And so I sought the Holy Ghost for virtually months. But on a Sunday night, the Spirit of God said, why don't you just step out there and dance a little bit. And when I started dancing before the Lord, the Holy Ghost came on me. Amen. I'm going to tell you something. There's power in worship. So the dance can be very significant, especially the dance that I'm going to be speaking to you about here today. 2 Samuel 6 and 16, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, David's wife, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. You see people that don't worship. People that refuse to worship. They do not understand the divine connection between a worshipper and God. They have no idea what's going on in in the scope of worship. They really do not get it. And so there are people that will look at us who are demonstrative in praise, who will dance a little bit and shout a little bit and clap a little bit and sing a little bit. There's something wrong with you. No, there's nothing wrong with us. There's something wrong with you because God created us to worship. What Michael did not understand is that as David danced before the Lord, he was finally releasing all of the fear, the pain, and the anguish that he had experienced over the 20 years that he spent in exile. Psalms 149 and 3 says, praise him in the dance. Just praise him in the dance. I can't explain it. He just gets glory when you dance before him. He just gets honor when you don't care what anybody thinks, and you just dance before him. But besides Israel's second king, David possessed many attributes, many admirable traits and characteristics. Among them, he was a great warrior. If you've ever read about David, you have read about his exploits upon the battlefield. David was loyal to a fault uh, for his friends. He was an ardent worshiper of God. He was an inventor and, and uh, builder of various instruments through which various sounds would give God praise, honor, and glory. And uh, he, perhaps one of his greatest traits is he surrounded himself with men that were greater than he was in many respects, and that did not intimidate him whatsoever. But during the years that he was a fugitive, there were times when David lost perspective, and he even at one time uh, predicted that Saul would eventually hunt him down and eventually kill him. It had been a long time, many years, since that oil from Samuel's horn poured down over him, and he had lost sight of what, Uh, Samuel had prophesied over him because he lost perspective of it all which is what temptation can do to you and trials and tribulations can do to you. They can alter your perception of virtually everything. They alter our perception of the people around us. They alter our perception even of God. And this loss of insight and discernment is exactly what occurred in Job during the long uh, uh, trial that he was under and the things that he suffered and the loss that he endured. While he maintained his integrity before God, Job's view of life and even of God had become very distorted. You see, you got to be careful when you're going through a trial that you do not lose sight of the things that are important. you got to be careful that your view of God and and, 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 and of the things of God does not become distorted because if you can get through a trial without that happening, then you're going to be better than before you went in. But Job became very cynical uh, in the midst of his trial. And while he did not curse God, he did, he did curse the day that he was born. He did curse the day that he was brought into this world. And that cursing that day was a veiled suggestion that God was not a just God. He didn't outwardly accuse God of that, but God knew exactly what Job was talking about. Job 3, verse 1 through 4, after this he opened or opened Job's mouth, cursed his day, and Job spake and said, Let the day perish wherein I was born, and the night in which it was said, There's a man, child, conceived. Let that day be darkness. Let not God regard it from above, neither let the light shine upon it. You see, Job's suffering gave him what he believed to be a private, private and personal revelation of what life is really all about. Be careful. Be careful of those revelations you receive in the midst of the darkness of your trial. Make sure they're they're compatible with the word of God. During the verbal tug of war that he uh, experienced with his three so-called friends, Job sadistically retaliated, and who could blame him for that? So in so many words, he said this. To be in the grave was to keep company with dead kings who, having no more lands to guard or rebellions to put down, walked the untroubled halls of their grand mausoleums. To be dead was to be where the threat of pain could not be used to enslave. In other words, from Job's painful and twisted perspective, he said to have life is merely to be given the experience of pain. To have a good son, one must be open to the possibility of having to bury him. He went on to have a tender daughter is also to be open to the potential of seeing her marred and being used merely, Lord, to satisfy someone's lust. One commentator weighed in on all of these things and he posited that in Job's mind, every good thing that God created is good in an inverse proportion to its potential to cause suffering. Now, I know as I'm speaking to you that some of you uh, are going through uh, struggles of, of some nature. Some of you are dealing with life situations. If I don't know how you wouldn't be living in the kind of world that we are living in right now. So I understand that I'm speaking to some people who already your your view of God and your view of life and your view of your relationship with God has become a little bit distorted. And so I want to be careful with you because I want you to emerge from this with a completely different view. But as sad as all of this is, it's not difficult to see how and why that Job was caught in this vortex of bewilderment. It's easy to understand. It would would even cause us to wonder how it could not happen, the depth of his loss and the depth of his pain and the depth of the betrayal that he was experiencing in life. I don't know if you've ever been there, but when you get there, if you haven't been there, let me tell you what it is. It's it's everything you thought you knew doesn't make sense to your situation. Everything you thought you understood about God and life and, and your relationship with God, none of that seems to make any sense in what you're going through. And you're just suspended in that for whatever length of time that God will permit. And it's a tough place to be. It's a dark place to be. In the handbook on the Psalms and Wisdom Literature, Jeremy Painter, author of that periodical, alludes to a song by Garth Brooks. I've never heard a Garth Brooks song. I'm not proud of that. I'm not ashamed of it either. i just never heard of it. But the lyrics of this song went like this. It might have been better to know ahead of time that things would end badly, but if I had, I'd have had to miss the dance. It probably would have been better, paraphrasing, for me to know ahead of time that things would have ended badly, but if I'd have known that, I'd have had to miss the dance. And so the song speaks in the context of a tragically broken relationship. It speaks to other tragedies as well. Tragedies like the death of Abraham Lincoln, or tragedies like the death of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Tragedies like the uh, space shuttle Challenger that broke apart 73 seconds after it was launched, killing all seven astronauts aboard, including Krista McAuliffe, a schoolteacher that was there for the ride and experience of her life. Every morning when we get up, we're introduced to a litany of tragedies that occurred uh, during the night as we slept. Among these are a million other tragedies that could have been avoided, but at the cost of never venturing out, at the cost of never slowing the tide of injustice. At the cost of never getting to fly if only for a few awesome seconds up into the heavens. And so I believe that Jesus speaks to such possibilities in Luke chapter 14. I believe that he also speaks in the same words to uh, potential realities. Two different things you you will read about in these verses of scripture. Possibility and reality. For which of you? Intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost whether he have sufficient to finish it. Lest haply, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. You see, great possibilities can inspire and motivate people to do seemingly impossible things. On the other hand, fear, the fear of potential realities will stop others from even trying. While some are out there sweating and laboring to build their tower, the others go, not me, man, uh uh Things could go wrong. Things could happen. And so the song says, if I'd known, if I'd have known. How many times one of the plagues of getting old is you sit around and say, boy, what would I I do different if I was 30 again? If we've had that conversation once, we've had it a thousand times. Let me not tell you what I would do. Let me tell you the things I would not do. If I'd known that things were going to end so badly, I could have avoided the pain, I could have avoided the anguish of a broken relationship, but then I'd have had to miss the dance. If we look deeper into Christ's parable about the builder of the tower, Jesus was actually. Uh, In truth, not just talking about counting the cost, ensuring that you have enough material and you have enough uh, manpower and you have enough uh, mortar and brick and, and wood and things to finish the tower. He was talking about something completely different. It's more about counting the cost to determine if you're willing to pay the price. If we were going to leave this afternoon and go go car shopping, we would not go to the BMW dealership. We would not walk into the Jaguar showroom. We would not pull into the Maserati parking lot. Mercedes. Now when it comes to Mercedes, my dear friend, It's not the price of the vehicle. It's the price to maintain it. I had a friend of mine years ago. I'm talking about 30-some years ago uh, in Cape Coral, and he was a real estate broker, and he, he, he bought his wife a Jaguar. Now, the man made hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and had the audacity to complain to me that to replace one of our headlights cost him $350. I was, do you... Know who you're talking to? My car didn't cost $350. (laughs) So Jesus was talking about those who begin the tower, but then later they decide that the cost is too high, the price is too high, so they walk away and they leave the tower unfinished. Put that in your mind, an unfinished tower. This subjects not only the tower builder but also the kingdom of God, the church of the living God, to mocking unbelievers, saying, See, your God wasn't as big as you said he was. See, God wasn't as powerful as you told me he was. See, this was not as good as you claimed that it was because you're walking away from it. So you can choose to avoid the pain and choose to avoid the struggles along the way. But in the end, you have nothing left but an empty lot where a great tower was supposed to have been built. Let me tell you something. If if there was a divine revelation that said you can go live for the devil and go to heaven, I wouldn't change one thing in the way I'm living because Jesus is the best part of this life. Jesus is the best part of this, and he's not going to go into a honky-tonk when I go in there. He's gonna, not going to go with me if I'm going to have an illicit sexual relationship with somebody. He's not going to go with me when I go into sin and to the the dregs of corruption. I would not trade this for anything. The dance is especially significant to me because the first few minutes that I spent with my wife was on a dance floor over 50 years ago. It was a place in Edwardsville, Illinois, called the Granary. That building's not even there any longer. It was a granary shut down. They turned it into, I think it was Wednesday through Sunday night, uh, where they were bringing rock bands and crazy stuff goes on. And, and so I went there with two of my friends. We were going to hang out. We were looking for girls. What I was looking for <laughs> We didn't go for the music, I mean, you know. <laughs> and, uh. This girl walked in front of me. I, we were sitting there, and there was a banister around the dance floor. This girl walked in front of me with long, blonde hair down to her waist. I didn't even see what she looked like in the face. It didn't matter. <laughs> I saw what she looked like from where I was sitting, and that was good enough for me. <laughs> and the beautiful thing was you don't need an intro line. You don't need this, you know, some line. Just do you want to dance? That was it. You know, that, was, that was my big thing. Do you want to dance? Fortunately, she said, "Why I do not know." She said, "Yes." But uh, the music was so loud we you couldn't talk. I mean, you couldn't hold a conversation. I mean, people complain sometimes it's loud in here. This is nothing, <laughs> nothing. And so, after a couple dances, we walked off the dance floor. We went upstairs. It was three or four stories in this place, and. Got away from the loud music, and we spent the rest of the evening just talking and getting to know one another. I can honestly say that nothing earth shaking occurred uh during those two dances or even that rest of that evening nothing life changing occurred that night other than other than uh, I got my first kiss. <laughs> I know this is x-rated man this is I'm glad the kids are in Sunday school. This is, (laughs) whoa. My wife's turning red. Go ahead. That's all I'm going to say about that. I'm not going to tell them. That's it. You're safe. (laughs) And the other thing, I got her phone number. And here we are, almost 50, well, it's over 50 years since that night. (laughs) And uh, thank the Lord for it. But here's the thing. What if I had missed that dance? What if I had missed, I don't know, two dances, eight minutes, nine minutes out of a a lifetime? What if we had missed that dance? Both of our lives would be on a completely different trajectory. She'd be married to a jerk probably. God only knows how different our lives would be, but I want to ask you a question. How many dances have you missed? How many dances have you foregone just because you weren't sure how it was going to turn out? You know what she said to me when I asked her to dance? I remember it. I don't know how, but I remember it. She said, but there's nobody on the dance floor. Normally I would say, you're right, I don't know what I was thinking. But that night I took her by the hand and we went to the dance floor and within 30 seconds the floor was filled with people. Amen. You will find if you will just do what God tells you to do, if you'll just do what God orders and ordains you to do. Everything is going to work out. So I've asked you how many dances have you missed, but let me ask us as a church, how many dances have we missed? Sure, we've probably been spared from some pain. We've probably saved ourselves from some unnecessary stress and heartache, anguish. The aggregate of which is the high price of the tower. Now, Jesus did not suggest that the tower is going to cost a lot, but the implication is there. The inference is there. This is not going to be cheap. This is not going to be easy. So you better consider the cost before you delve into this. When we were preached to about baptism in Jesus' name, we didn't jump in the water. I'm thinking, you know, this, this is the most incredible thing that's ever happened to me, but I want to make sure next week I feel the same thing. Two weeks from now that this hasn't went away, a month from now. So it was about six weeks. I said, this ain't going away. Put me in the water. Baptize me in Jesus' name. No doubt we've saved ourselves from a certain amount of anxiety, including, of course, the possibility of that thing, that dreaded thing called failure. But now I want to ask, what have these safety measures cost us? What does playing it safe cost us? What does it cost the kingdom of God? What does it cost our city? What would have happened to the demoniac of Gadara had Jesus foregone the trip through the possibility of inclement weather? We pride ourselves that we have successfully navigated around or avoided a litany of potential realities, but in doing so, we have missed out on great possibilities. Matthew 11, 16, and 17, Jesus said, but unto, whereunto shall I like in this generation? It is like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, we have piped unto you and ye have not danced. We have mourned unto you and ye have not lamented. Speaking to his generation, if I can paraphrase. He said, you chose not to dance when you were given the invitation. And you chose not to mourn when necessity gave way to sorrow. You chose to play it safe. You chose not to expose yourself emotionally in regard to joy or sadness. And it's going to cost this generation everything. Matthew twenty two fourteen. 14, he said, for many are called, but few are chosen. You know what that says? Many are called to the dance, but few accept the invitation. I wonder what Paul would have done if he would have known what waited for him on the mission field. If God would have laid it out, this is what you're going to go through from here to there. And by the time you're done, you will bear in your body the marks of everything that's been placed upon you. Would Paul have even ventured out? But he didn't know. Is revival really impossible? Is revival really out of our reach? Or have we just decided that the price of revival is too high? The hours of prayer needed to have apostolic revival is just too much to ask of us. Having counted the cost of the powerful move of God, let's not forego the former because of the latter. My God. Having considered the high cost of revival, let's not surrender the joy of possibility to the pain of reality. Having considered the pain of loss or the humiliation of failure, let's not choose to live unassuming and powerless spiritual lives simply because it's easy. But here's the bottom line. It's the same for each and every one of us in this room. As human beings, and even more so, it's more applicable to us as apostolic believers, we are given the option of choosing what we value more, an iron-clad guarantee against pain and loss, or the dance. The dance. And honestly, doesn't matter what your choices have been up till now. The only thing that matters is what you will choose at the conclusion of this service. But lest we should assume that this perilous arrangement is confined to human experience alone, God subjected himself to the same. Yes, he could have spared himself the pain that human beings have inflicted upon him from the very beginning. God knew before he ever made the world what the world was going to cost him, but he made it anyway. Jesus asked what kind of a man would build a tower. It's confounding in the mind and heart of God that anyone would do this, so he asked this. What kind of a man would build a tower without knowing what the tower would truly cost him because what wisdom is for man wisdom is for god first peter 4:12 beloved think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you what in the world is going on here Where is this coming from? What is this thing? I'm living right. I'm paying my tithes. I'm, I'm invested in the kingdom of God. What is this stupid, strange thing happening unto me? Peter said, don't think it's weird. Don't think it's strange. Because if you have objectively counted the cost, the fiery trial or the insane obstacles that the enemy places in your path should not surprise you or cause you to quit the almighty God counted the cost before he built his proverbial tower and the cost to him was everything everything the cost was himself so while some are contemplating considering whether you're willing to pay the price necessary to even be a Christian today or even to be a child of God, to be a part of this covenant that Jesus has made through grace and through the cross, let me remind you what Jesus gave for you. Jesus gave everything so that you could sit here and hear the gospel. 1 Corinthians 16, 19, 20, what? 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 Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. Whose body is it? He bought it with a price. It did not belong to you anymore. Adorn it like he wants it adorned. Do with it like he prefers you to do with it. In your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Do we need to remind us today what Jesus was willing to do for us in order to save us? You see, he didn't, well, let me back up a little bit. My wife is still in mourning. Uh, Steinmark's been closed now for three years. <laughs> she's still she's still grieving over that, and invariably she'll say, "You like what I have on?" Yeah. Well, I got it. It's Steinmark. <laughs> she's grieving over that, but my wife, when she shops Steinmark, she only shops well she, any store really, but she shops the the clearance racks, and. There were times she would come to me and say, I saw something I liked. It was on the clearance rack, but it's only 50% off. Next week, it'll be 75% off. I told you I hit the jackpot when I met her. (laughs) So I want you to understand, Jesus did not walk into the discount store and buy you off of the discount rack. You may not have been worth it at the time, but he said, whatever the price tag is, I'll pay it. We've been bought with the price. You did not come cheap to him. You can't give people anything. They won't respect it. They have to work for it, labor for it, pay for it out of their own sweat, toilet, and money. They'll take care of it then. Jesus bought you. And he paid dearly for each and every one of us. So whatever sacrifices have been made in the work of God, this church, the body of Christ, cost him everything. Why would we think that revival would be cheap? I'm going to speak to something. You get mad at me, you can take my UPC card or whatever. I am tired of people saying that God's just going to one day blow the doors of our church wide open. He's going to People are going to be pulling into our parking lot. Revival is going to break outside. It is not going to happen. It will be born out of travail. It will be born out of sacrifice. Revival is going to cost us something. Where did we get the idea that signs and wonders and the miraculous would come cheap? Cheap. God. You see, the deed to his tower was not owed upon completion. It was owed at the beginning of its construction. So without question, our Lord could have missed the pain of Calvary. He could have easily just dismissed it and missed the pain of Calvary. But then he would have had to miss the dance of David. He would have had to miss the friendship of Abraham. He would have had to miss the faith of Mary and the devotion of the beloved disciple. God could have missed the agony of the Roman scourge but then he never would have seen a young shepherd boy step onto a battlefield facing off against a giant with just a sling. And a stone. He could have missed it all, but he would have missed that as well. You see, I want you to understand something before I go on. Uh, When David said to Goliath these words, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied, do you know what he was really saying? And do you know what God heard him say? If you're going to pick on my God, you're going to have to go through me. That's what God heard in heaven. When he's weighing Calvary out at the beginning, is it going to be worth it when he saw a little shepherd boy say, If you're going to pick on the Almighty God, you're going to have to go through me. If God had buttons, he would have burst those buttons right off of his garments right there. And then, you see, holiness is not about what we comply with. Our walk in separation, righteousness, and holiness is us protecting God's honor and protecting God's glory and protecting God's word. Amen. We're defying every lie of the devil, and we're telling the world, my God's worth living right for. He's worth dressing right for. He's worth living holy for. God could have missed the pain and heartache that the human race has caused him for thousands of years, but then he would have never smelled the sweet fragrance of oil as it poured forth from Mary's alabaster box. He would have never experienced that incredible moment when virtue just came flooding out of his body. As he looked down and a woman laid on the ground with a handful of the hem of his garment. All the things that he would have missed. How many dances have we missed? We could go on and on, but when he considered the weight of mankind's utter rejection and the unimaginable pain of the cross, we should all be thankful today that God decided that it was, and it would be, worth it, worth it. Hebrews 12 and 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. But you know, the issue really isn't about him any longer, is it? The issue is about you and The reality is that pain and love for both God and man are two sides of the same coin. You simply cannot choose one without the other. So Paul wrote to the Romans in the 8th chapter, verse 16, the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us." With confidence, I can stand before you today and tell you that when you avoid suffering and struggle, you also forego great and mighty victories. When you do your utmost to live a safe and sheltered Christian life, that's exactly what you get. In the book of Hebrews, where we read, the 11th chapter about the heroes of faith. It's not filled with men and women who live delicate and safe spiritual lives. It's about men and women who went against the tide and they knew knew what the repercussions would be. They knew what it would cost them. It's about people that went against the tide and it cost many of them uh, their very lives. They broke all of man's rules, but they kept all of God's commandments. And do you think for one moment that as God counted the cost of his tower... That he didn't see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stand defiantly and boldly against King Nebuchadnezzar, willing to burn rather than bow to that golden image. You think God did not see that before he ever laid out the foundation of the world? Oh, yes, he did. It said, whatever I got to pay, whatever price tag is upon me to see that, to have that happen in real life, I'm willing to pay the price. I'll bring this to a close. I'm compelled to tell somebody today that if you do not know what you've missed, that you do not know what you've missed by playing it safe. I know that perhaps you've managed to avoid some adverse experiences. If you want to know the truth, about 46 years of ministry, has it all been bliss? Marriage is not even bliss. Marriage is a struggle. It's work. Two people becoming one. That's not supposed to be easy. So we've managed to avoid some adverse experiences. We've managed to avoid the, the pain and the agony of hours of intercessory prayer. Let somebody else do it that somebody else has an anointing upon them. Where's your anointing? So we've managed to avoid some of this stuff that's associated with a visitation of God and revival and a move of God's spirit. But what do we have in its place? A bunch of empty lots where towers should have been built. Demon spirits that should have been bound and fettered a long time ago, they're still running rampant, destroying people's lives because we have successfully avoided spiritual warfare and conflict and dealing with devils and darkness and hell. Yeah, we got away with without dealing with all of that stuff, but addiction is still roaring in our city. Alcoholism, broken homes and marriages. This morning, again, there was another shooting. God, help us. Strongholds, strongholds, have not been torn down because it is tough pulling down strongholds. It jeopardizes our comfort zones, challenging strongholds. Every morning in prayer, I put on the armor of God and say, devil, you may not be looking for me, but I'm looking for you because I'm tired of all of this junk that you're doing. Or we can hide out somewhere and, and, and escape a lot of this stuff, but what are we missing in its place? Musicians, please join me. I, I saw uh, just this morning uh, a short video of Jonathan Cahn. I'm not endorsing him by any means, but he does have some very unique insights. And I, I, I'll just tell you a little bit about what he said. He talked about the mark of the beast, and he was talking about the, the shooting of the Christian school, and uh, talking about the mark of the beast. And He's got a book out. I do recommend you read the book or listen to it. It's The Return of the Gods. Wow. Wow. It'll open your eyes. So he says that this, this uh, murderer, this transgender, killed three adults and three children. The three adults that he killed were 60, 61, and 62 years old. Six, six, six. He says, and one of the things that uh, uh, Satan does is he inverts things, the inversion of things. And so the three children that were killed were all nine years old, inverted six, six, six. If you don't believe that we are in the final stages of war, spiritual warfare, then you need enlightened. There's no question that we have entered the final chapter of the church age. We're living in Bible times right now. I speculate that during the millennial reign there will be uh, men that God will inspire to write about what the world is experiencing right now and what the church is experiencing right now. They'll read about it hundreds of years into the millennium. We are living in Bible times right now. The countdown to the rapture and the march to Armageddon has already begun, and the pace is accelerating. The foundation of a one-world government has been laid. It's not being laid. It has been laid. By the time you hear about uh, uh, alliances between Saudi Arabia and China and China, and these things have already, they've already been laid out in the spirit world long before you ever hear about it. The national and economic powers that were seen by Daniel and Ezekiel are rapidly emerging on the world stage forming powerful global alliances let me let me settle something for you the election in 2024 is not going to change anything what we need is to get a hold of god if you put your hope on the republican party or the next presidential election you're in trouble The very strong admonition that is directed to the people of God who would be destined to be alive when these frightening things occur, or when the final chapter of this age is written, the admonition, I think it's more as a commandment, is to watch and pray. Watch and pray that you may be counted worthy. I got my Acts 238 card in my wallet. I got my Acts 238 card there now. And I ain't ain't, ain't nobody take that from me. If you think that that's all there is to this, get baptized, get the Holy Ghost, and then live on your schedule, live how you want to live, Ladies and gentlemen, God is in this place right now. The admonition to us is to watch and pray. The last time I preached was about a month ago, and I felt an urging. You're gonna I, I've repented, and you're gonna have to forgive me of this. I felt an urging in prayer to call the men. And tell them to meet me in the back prayer room at 4 o'clock on Sunday morning. 4 o'clock. I tried to negotiate it to 5. I tried to negotiate it to 6. You know what I'm talking about. Finally, I quit negotiating and didn't call him because I said, God, I can't even come to pray at 8 o'clock. That was the point of his request. We talked. A big, a good game, but we don't perform very well on the field of battle. When did prayer start in this church this morning? What time was it? It is now almost 1230. There were people in this sanctuary at 730 this morning praying, why? Why? Because they wanted God to move. They wanted a visitation of God. It was the price they were willing to pay for somebody to get the Holy Ghost, for somebody to be healed, for somebody to be delivered. But in the midst of it all, hear me now because what I'm going to say in the next few moments are the most important. Because God has choreographed the dance of the end-time church between now and the coming of the Lord. God has choreographed this end-time apostolic dance. And if we will dance according to his choreograph, according to how God has designed this, It will reveal his mighty power and his grace, and you will see the things that you've been talking about now for years. Consequently, the Spirit of God is here, and he is inviting you to the dance. Just like I walked up to Kathy Fraser and said, You want to dance? The Holy Ghost is here talking to everyone in this room, inviting you to the dance. What's it going to cost me? It's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost us everything. My God. So I understand some things that's going on. Answer that, please. Thank you. We can continue to put our careers and our vested interest before God. We can continue to live mundane spiritual lives. But God is inviting you and me to the dance. Stand with me. You can remain on the sidelines, and trust me, you will not be alone. The sidelines will remain full even after today. You can continue to live a quasi-committed, I'll show up when I'm ready, spiritual life. If that's what you want to do. But that's not the dance that's been choreographed for the last days. I get it. There's a great deal of uncertainty on the economic and political horizon. I'm not making light of that, nor am I telling you that it's no cause for alarm. It is a cause of great alarm. I've read a number of books written by soldiers who have come out of fierce battles, and they've told about their, their experiences. And invariably, people ask, how do you run in?" To the fire how do you do that aren't you afraid oh we are absolutely scared to death to say apostolics that you should not be somewhat anxious or fearful about what's coming is foolish because we are afraid but we're still not going to back down we're still not going to run I don't relish the thought of seeing a bunch of thugs grab my wife and threaten me with what they would do to her if I don't denounce the name of Jesus. You tell me not to be afraid of what can potentially happen in this country. You need to get a hold of God, and you need to get a hold of God now. Oh, Bishop, you're not supposed to be talking that way. Oh, let's sugarcoat it a little bit. We had a Holy Ghost. We're not afraid. You know, yank my fingernails out. Don't bother me. We should be concerned. We should be deeply concerned. Life is not going on as normal, it's not going to return to pre COVID times. But God, right now, right here, right now, is calling us to the dance. extending an invitation to the dance of the ages dance. Of the ages. Could it possibly be that somewhere down into the millennial reign they will be talking about our exploits, about the persecution we endured, about the faith that we had in God in spite of everything around us? Could they be talking about what God did in the last few days of this dispensation? How the church rose to the occasion and thrived in the darkness and thrived against principalities and powers and thrived in spite of the threats that were made to them. I believe it's not only possible, I believe that it's feasible. So when sin abounds, yeah, I know grace will much more abound. That does not negate the fact that God needs Holy Ghost-filled men and women to accept his invitation to the dance. I'm just going to close with this. I'm not going to go into the detail I had planned, but most of us, if not all of us, are familiar with the, the spiritual condition of the Laodicean church. The Laodicean church mirrors the Church of America. It does perfectly. I mean, perfectly. And in the letter that Jesus sent to the Laodicean church, Revelation 3:20 20 and 21, behold, I stand at the door and knock I'm standing and I'm knocking if any man hear my voice and open the door I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me to him that overcometh doesn't have to be everybody if one man one woman answers that call answers that invitation to him Will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in His throne? I hear Richard, the beating of the drum of the Holy Ghost. It's not beating the same beat as the world and as the Antichrist because God has choreographed this. God has choreographed this dance at the end time. And I hear the call and the cry of the Spirit to me. Don't worry about the cost. It will be worth it. Does anybody hear it? Can anybody hear it? Can anybody hear that right now? Can anybody hear the drumbeat of the Holy Ghost? Can anybody hear the invitation of God, amen, to cast caution to the wind and throw yourself into the cause of Christ and the work of God? I know you can. So why don't you come and pray? Why don't you come and change your life? Why don't you come and have an encounter with God today that will change the course of your life? It'll change this church. It'll change the atmosphere of this church. It'll change everything about us. It'll rewrite a lot of wrongs. It'll fix a lot of mistakes. Come on, this is holy. Come on, this is heaven sent. This is divinely inspired of God. God's trying to get you off the periphery, trying to get you into the mainstream and flow of the Holy Ghost, not only for a few minutes, but for the rest of your life. Let's gather at the front. Come on. Let's gather before God as a family of God. Let's let God and the devil know. We're hearing a clear sound from the Holy Ghost right now. The Holy Ghost is inviting me to the dance. And I'm not going to miss my opportunity.
1: Hallelujah.
0: Hallelujah.
1: Darkness trembles, mountains grow. Cross- Oh, hey.
0: I don't know if I will be alive when the rapture takes place or not. I certainly believe that the rapture can happen any moment, any moment. And yet I know of great men who have since went on to their reward that believed that it was going to take place in their lifetime. So I'm not going to stand here and tell you that I'm sure it's gonna take place in my lifetime. But I'm gonna tell you this. Whether I am moving toward the rapture of the church or toward a grave site somewhere in a cemetery, I am gonna finish this race strong. I'm gonna finish strong. Either way. Praise God. You see, I had a race when I was in basic training. The the drill instructors, training instructors, they called him at Lackland, took me out and two platoons out, and they were gonna pit me against the other platoons best runner in the mile. I could run the mile and Not even be out of breath when I was that age. And so they took bets. Hopefully they didn't lose much because I didn't win the race. But here we are, me against this guy. And I was out in front for four laps. When I made that final curve and started down the stretch, I gassed out. Uh, And this guy went leap, he just leaped right by me and ran. Right by me and won the race. It's 1970 and it's haunted me ever since. And that's why I say, not this time. I'm not gonna gas out. Going down the stretch. I'm gonna finish strong this time. For God, for my church. For my wife for my family i'm gonna finish strong if i go before the rapture i don't want anybody sitting around saying well he was a good man he just couldn't make it all the way no he's gonna make it and you need to make up your mind that you're gonna make it too Proverbs chapter 30, verse 11 says, Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. This especially touched me to the end, the next verse says, To the end that my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent, O Lord my God, I will give thanks. Under thee forever. I, God, turn my mourning. You know why you need to be in the house of God? So God can take a few minutes of your mourning away and put some dancing in your feet, some dancing in your heart. Put some gladness in your soul. Hey, hell will be waiting for you when you walk out the door. But in here... This belongs to us. This ground is blood-bought. This carpet's blood-bought. So leave your hell at home. Leave your hell on the parking lot and come into this place and rejoice before God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. You got to pray.